Invest in yourself today with our Insider Pro product, which gives you the career path to reach the next step in your cybersecurity journey. Join today on cyber.it using the discount code podcast. Security is the name of the game, and Jared Ablon, CEO of HackEDU, is working with his team to bridge the gap between security and engineering. Security is a different type of defect, and the better developers are at catching those defects, the better your product, services, developers, and security will be. As Mike Gruen of Cyberay points out, security and operations in an assembly line isn't scalable for organizations that want to grow. But with DevSecOps, having people skilled in areas of security, operations, and development can streamline the process and resources to create an overall better solution. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Cyberay podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gruen, VP of Engineering and CISO here at Cyberay. Today, we're joined by Jared Ablon from Hack EDU. Uh, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Cool. So um, before we get too deep into it, why don't we start with you? Um, you know, what do you do and, um, and a little bit about you? It'd be great. Yeah. So I'm the CEO at Hack EDU. I've been in cybersecurity for 17 years now. So I've been in, in the field for a long time. I was, uh, my last role, I was the CISO. And, um, you know, really wanted to start uh, my own company in an area that I saw, um, you know, there was a real need for in cybersecurity. So I started Hacky to You with my co-founder, Matt Costola, about two and a half years ago. And we built Hacky to You to really help with um, secure coding training. So really hands-on, you know, lab-based training for software developers to help them write more secure code. That's awesome. So um, I think you guys have a pretty interesting origin story. Maybe that would be a great place to start if you wanted to sort of talk about the background of the company. Yeah. So we started the company. We bootstrapped. We didn't raise any money, um, which obviously has its own challenges. But Mm -hmm. uh, really what it allowed us to do is focus on our customers. Like we couldn't, we couldn't do anything outside of what we needed to do and, and really focus on like, what are our customers saying and, and how do we help them? Um, I mean, it's kind of crazy these days that you can actually start a company with almost no money. I mean, mm-hmm. You know, the amount of money we put up was, you know, like $10,000 to, to start the company, basically. Um, you know, so, you know, I, I think one day maybe I'll, I'll write a story on that. How you make a company from, from 10000 up to something really huge. Um, but yeah, that's basically, you know, how, how we started. So in those early days, looking back, our... Um... Was there anything that you uh, said no to that you're particularly happy that like, yeah, we could have done that, but I'm really glad we didn't go down that path? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think at this point, obviously it's easier in hindsight to say, I'm glad we didn't raise money. <laughs> <laughs> it, it would have been really, uh, it would have been a much easier path for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, raising money would have allowed us to do a lot of different things. But it, again, I think it would have made it so we weren't, super focused on what we're doing. Maybe we would have tried other things and, and, you know, some of those things would have, would have meant that we wouldn't have been successful at this point. So I think that's really, you know, at this point, what, what we're happy, you know, we're happy that we didn't raise, even though at the time it, it's much more harder, you know, path forward. Yeah, definitely. Um, I could see that in terms of like any features or any sort of path, like business paths, like, cause I know, in my career, pl- plenty of times where, um, especially 
early on where you're you maybe have two or three customers that are really driving roadmap. They're they're they should be a good partner, right? But even the best of partners will have crazy ideas and you just right. sort of have to, you know, sort of say no. I'm just curious if there's anything along those lines. Um there's definitely been things we've we've said no to. Um you know, I'm trying to think of any big things that, that kind of come to mind, but you know, it really came down to not just one customer asking for things, but multiple customers. Right. Like, we don't want just one customer saying, hey, we want this and we're building basically their idea of what our product should be. We kind of wanted consensus like, oh, this this makes sense. The market is kind of asking for these things. Let's mm-hmm. build out the things that, that the market is asking for. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, one of our challenges, not hours at cyber necessarily, but one of my challenges over my career at various companies has been this like notion of like, you get a large company that comes in and really wants something and it's, yeah, other companies say it's interesting, but maybe it's just not that higher priority to some of the other ones. And they're like, but this very large company is willing to throw a lot of money at you. And sometimes it can be tough to sort of walk away from that in order to do what you know is best for the product in the long term. Um, I think that's what defines a lot of companies. I think you can go find yourself uh, taken pretty far astray as a, especially as a product company um, where you start getting into more, all of a sudden you have a large professional services organization because <laughs> you're doing all these customizations as opposed to really staying focused on product. For sure. For sure. But we are, I mean, with that said, we are super customer focused. If a large customer comes in and asks for quite a bit, we'll go down the road, you know, a, a bit with them to, to help make sure, you know, we're giving them really what they want, but, right. but obviously we don't want to take that to the extreme and build out, you know, something for one customer that no one else will, will ever really use. Exactly. Yeah. And um, I think, uh, I think back to my first job where we were building, um, it was, we were a product company, we're a product division within a professional services organization. I remember one of the companies that was an early, one of our early customers was a, just a great partner because they'd suggest these like off the wall things. And we'd be like, yeah, we're not going to put that in the core. And they'd be like, yeah, I could see how nobody else would want that. And we're like, awesome. Like, cool. Like you guys get it. We get it. We'll, we'll come up with a solution. We'll try and figure out, we'll try and meet you halfway because as an early adopter, you know, as somebody who's really dry, helping us to drive the roadmap and, and paying us, frankly, um, we'll definitely try and meet you halfway, but we're not necessarily going to build that exact feature. Um, exactly. So it's always cool when you have those good, like, a handful of customers. Um, at what point do you think you sort of had that? Like, how many customers what, were you in where you're like, okay, this is a this was like a good number where you felt like you were getting like a a really solid sample size of what the market was? Yeah, I would say um, number of customers is is, uh, is harder for me to say, but but definitely like time in. I think mm-hmm. we were in about eight or nine months when we're like, okay, we're we're starting to get good feedback and what to build and understanding. You know, another thing is, you know, I'm I'm not a sales guy. I'm you know, my background is security for 17 years, so I started as our sales guy. You know, selling everything, and so obviously I had barriers there that I had to get through in terms of you know, I'm I'm not I'm not the guy who loves going and and talking to people and selling and all of that. So um, so I had to learn that and get through that process. So you know, it took some time, and then you know, I'd say about eight eight or nine months in, we had a good set of customers. We could really ask them what they wanted and really building for them. No, that's cool. And I actually think like when I think about if I was going to start my own company, I've always been thinking as a technologist, as someone who started off in software engineering and and has moved up and and is now CISO and and Mm -hmm. VP of engineering, like selling to other technical people, definitely like that's the type of product I would most likely build is one where I can 
where the person I'm talking to is someone who I can more directly relate to. Cause as like you, I'm not a salesperson. I'm not, right. I, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm not going to just suddenly be able to turn it all on and, and be able to do that. I, um, even doing this, these podcasts has been a stretch for me. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I definitely get that. Um, in terms of like the platform itself, why don't you, you know, maybe that'd be, um, what is it that you guys actually do and have to offer? And, um, yeah, yeah. So, so we we have secure coding training. So um, our training is all hands on, where developers actually have to write code as part of the training process. Um, you know, there's a lot of other training out there that's like videos or slides or something like mm-hmm. that. It really isn't effective, right? It's kind of like teaching driver's ed by showing a bunch of slides, right? You actually right. have to get in and do it. And so our training, developers actually have to write code. We're you know checking that they're writing the code correctly. You know, we cover you know, the OWASP top 10, which is kind of, you know, the standard. And then mm-hmm. go beyond that by covering, you know, the latest technologies and the latest um, vulnerabilities. So for example, we recreated the Capital One data breach that happened last summer. Mm-hmm. And we built a whole lesson around that. So developers get to come in, play with the actual vulnerability, exploit it. They do the offensive side to get a really good fundamental um, understanding of how the vulnerability works and how attackers are looking at their applications. And then they go in and they actually defend. So they see the code, they have to write the correct code. Um, and we teach them all of that in our, in our platform. So, you know, that's, that's big for us in terms of our training and keeping developers super engaged and highly motivated. And then additionally, we integrate with um, different static and dynamic analysis tools, as well as bug bounty programs to pull in that vulnerability data to assign lessons that they've actually had issues with. So if we're, if we're seeing a lot of cross-site scripting issues, we'll automatically assign training. So we have an adaptive learning platform that automatically assigns the training based on what vulnerabilities are seen. So it kind of plugs into the DevSecOps um, pipeline, um, mm-hmm. as well as you can turn on and off different triggers to allow people to do different things based on if they're compliant with the training and if they're keeping up with those vulnerabilities that are actually found in code. No, that's awesome. I think anything that really can plug into the day-to-day is 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 key. Um, I think, you know, cyber, we definitely um, agree with the, like, video training's nice, but hands-on, it, it, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where you actually do the learning um, right. and anything we can do to do hands-on and then taking it that step further to really plug into the everyday working environment um, is definitely... Um, an interesting and, and, and a great approach to it. Um, I like the idea of, hey, you guys seem to continue to have problems with cross-site scripting or uh, privilege escalation or, or whatever it is and um, being able to sort of give lessons there. Are you finding... Because um, as a software engineer, I, I've always found that there's a set of engineers that are very good at building and they just don't they're just not good at breaking. They're not good at sort of looking at it from how does the system break or how can I break it? How can I hack it? How can I cause failure? Which is really the mentality that, a, that an attacker has. Um, are you finding that, the, that there's, that you're less, you know, the, the developers who do the, go through your platform are getting that sort of experience or knowledge? Because um, I know that was a big challenge for me to try and get people to understand things from that perspective. Yeah, definitely. And, and I'll say that, you know, developers are super excited about that part. If you don't train developers and you kind of throw them in the deep end, you're like, here's an app, go find stuff. It can be mm-hmm. really frustrating. I mean, people who haven't done it, it's really difficult to just say, right. hey, here, go find vulnerabilities. 
But if you walk through and you say, here's a SQL injection, we're going to walk through how does it work fundamentally, right? What are the mm -hmm. issues? Now, here's an application, try to exploit. You know, in our platform, we have like built, we have built in, you know, a web proxy and things. So, you know, none of that setup needs to happen. It's just, you know, go in and start plugging away and we teach them how to use those tools. Um, so we find it, as long as you're teaching, then it's, it's great. Developers love it. It's engaging. You know, who doesn't want to learn to hack, right? Right. Fun. That's, that's, that's been my opinion, but right. you know, exactly. um, so yeah, no, and that's very similar to how I sort of got started. Um, not really started, but started more down the path of, of security was a number of years ago. Um, there was a job I was at where I was the liaison between mm -hmm. software engineering operations and security. And we we're going through a security, a third party security audit, um, being performed by MITRE. Um, and the MITRE guys were awesome. They came in and I was in the room to sort of just document all their findings and they had no problem sort of showing me exactly what they were doing um, and teaching me so that this way the next audit would go that much smoother because I could do all of these things way ahead of them. And I think they didn't see it as, oh, we're teaching like someone our trade secrets. They were sort of taking a different approach of like the more people like really solving the problem as opposed to just yeah. doing the audit. And, um, and that's when I started learning, you know, how to use the proxy to, to do privilege escalation and all kinds of, you know, um, you know, SQL injection, whatever it was. And um, definitely got me much more excited being able to do it hands-on and having someone show me as opposed to like, yeah, here's an application, figure out how to hack it or break it. Just, exactly. you don't know where to start. Right. And then after, I mean, question for you after that, how did you feel in terms of understanding the, the fundamentals of the vulnerability? Did you feel like you could maybe defend better because you understood that stuff? Oh yeah, absolutely. And in fact, um, I left that job um, and not, not long after that, maybe a year or so after um, and ended up in another place. And I just happened to join right before they were doing a big, um, like a major release and so there was everybody, in the, it was an all hands, everybody in the company was, was assigned things to test. But since I was, was only at the company for like two weeks, they didn't have anything for me to test. So I was just like a rover. They're like, hey, test whatever, whatever you want. I was like, cool. Fired up a proxy. And, and uh, that's the reason why privilege escalation is always the, like I kept on mentioning is because that's the very first thing I found was like, I just, you know, proxied up like admin equals true in my profile. And next thing I know, I was like, now I'm an admin. This is awesome. <laughs> and so, yeah, um, it definitely helped me right off the bat um, in learning how to protect it better and also how to test other people's stuff and my own stuff and right. um, definitely got a much deeper appreciation for it. Yeah, I mean, and it's that it's that excitement that we want to tap into, right? Your first time when you like got a, your privilege escalation, you're like, this is amazing, right? And right. So that's what we're teaching to really start to engage developers and get them super interested in this stuff. You know, we kind of see it as as bridging the gap between security and engineering. A lot of times, mm -hmm. it's, you know, in, in a lot of organizations, it's hard for them to work together. They kind of feel like they're, you know, security is pushing for one thing, you know, engineering is pushing to get the roadmap out, right? And right. so we kind of see our training as kind of helping to merge those those areas. Yeah, and I think security, I think where there's um where there's a similarity is like with bugs, right? The earlier in the process you can identify any type of defect, the cheaper it is, the easier it is, the better it is, right? And I think engineers get that, right? They they don't want to architect something with some major flaw and then realize like oh, nuts, now we have to redo all of this work. Right. Security is it's just a different type of flaw. And so I think um, getting 
engineers to understand that, getting companies, the, the executive team, the board, whoever it is, to sort of understand that security is, is just a different type of defect. And yeah. the earlier on you can catch it, and the more skilled you are at, as a developer at preventing it or, 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 or avoiding it altogether, the better off you are. Um, and that does align teams, I think, um, embedding... You know, I'm a huge DevSecOps uh, proponent, I think, um, and cross, you know, sort of cross-functional, multifunctional teams. So you should have somebody with a security background, somebody with an operational background, somebody with a software development background, front end, all of it. Mm-hmm. Let's have one group of people solving this problem uh, together. And then it's not adversarial as opposed to the old system of like this assembly line where, okay, now security has to check off on it. Now operations has to check off on it. Now security has to check off on the changes operations check. You know, it just right. doesn't get anywhere. It just and, turns and- into... Yeah, exactly. And I was just going to say, and that, that doesn't scale either, right? I mean, right. Doing that, there, there's just not enough application security engineers out there. There's not enough security people. You're never going to get there. So yeah, so you got to push that responsibility out to multiple people, including developers. Yeah, and I think not just doesn't it scale be from a personal pers- personnel or, or people perspective. It doesn't scale from like a process perspective, right? Like now you have these groups and like, how, do you, how does a, a team let's say a security team possibly like prioritize these five different things they're being asked to look at. And it's like apples, oranges, and cars. Like there's just no, like this is an internal business tool. This is something user facing. Like it becomes very, very difficult to sort of prioritize that and know where to put your resources when you can sort of spread them out across multiple projects and and have them really more focused and, and working together with the people developing it. Priorities are a little bit clearer as well. You don't get the same bottlenecks, I think. Absolutely. Yep. I agree with that completely. Yeah. So what do you think was one of the more surprising things you learned like sort of on your journey as you, as you built your company? Um, that, that's a good question. I would say, um, I, I think being able to, I think being able to, to, to bootstrap successfully and grow, right? I mean, we, you know, our company is funded by our customers, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think we thought we could do that. We were thinking maybe we would have to raise, but um, but being able to do that and build it without without looking to outside capital has been pretty amazing. Um, you know, and our customers, some of them have been so fantastic to work with in terms of as we were talking earlier, helping us build our roadmap and and building out what customers r- really want and are looking for. Um, yeah, cool. Um, so, and then I'm, I'm curious, who do you typically, when you're talking to these organizations, who you're typically selling to? We go through security. So, so even though we're, we're training, we're seen as more of a security product, right? So it's mm-hmm. sort of like, you know, as part of your secure SDLC, you want to have, um, you know, training as part of it. Um, so we're usually selling into uh, the security part of the organization. Okay. And then, um, but, and, but the end users, the software developer. For sure, yeah. End user software developer. They're usually brought into the process, right? Mm-hmm. Security wants the buy-in, which totally makes sense. You don't want right. you, you don't want security getting something and throwing it over the fence. I mean, same thing. It's very very comparable to like the security awareness training market, right? right? So like you, you don't want to just throw that to all of your users and nobody had any say and you know everyone's like, oh, I hate this stuff or whatever, right? So right. So yeah, very often um, you know developers are brought into the process to you know, check out our training, see if they like it and, and go from there. Yeah. And I think having it really plug into the CICD makes it so much easier. I mean, every, every security product that we bring in, it's, it somehow plugs into that entire pipeline. It has to be automated. It has to, you know, sort of fit into that. And, 
um, if it can fit in, um, if we, you know, from a training perspective, fit into that, um, into the testing and, Hey, these tests are failing or yep. these types of tests are failing and, and bring it to the forefront. I think that's awesome. Yeah, um, exactly. And I mean, for us, you know, it was important to build that out, to put it in there. I mean, prior to us doing this, I mean, you know, pretty much most of the secure SDLC can be put into, you know, DevSecOps, automate it, get it, you know, get it done dynamically, help basically make it so it scales and, and right. easy and people aren't, you know, running scans manually or something like that. And so what we wanted to do is to, how do you take training and put it into the DevSecOps process? And right. that's what we did with our integrations and things into different, different ZI CD tooling as well as um, connecting with those tools. So about how frequently are the developers sort of going through the training? Is it weekly, monthly, sort of? Yes. I'm sure that it, I'm sure it varies. I'm sure it varies a lot by customer, yeah. but. It, it totally depends on the organization. Some organizations are like, okay, we have a week. We're going to, you know, get everyone through as much as they can in a week. Personally, I, I don't see that working as well. Um, mm -hmm. so usually it works much better. Let's schedule it over an entire year and let's mm -hmm. do a little bit of training throughout the entire year doesn't disrupt the product roadmap at all, right? Because you're maybe talking, you know, an hour or two every month. The knowledge kind of builds it up on itself and you're kind of, you're constantly just training on what's timely and relevant. And right. so we see that work really well. I mean, what developer doesn't have time where they're compiling or they're testing or whatever, right? They have right. time there, but by taking a chunk and being like, okay, we're going to do like 40 hours, every, the whole company or whatever, it doesn't really work as well. So we, we recommend against doing that, although some companies still want to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think that fits it. I, I imagine it depends on other things and how they see things. But yeah, no, we, like our security awareness training, I love it because it is um, like five minutes once a month mm -hmm. delivered over the course of the year. So um, it's not just this annual security awareness training that like everybody has to take some amount of time out of their day to do. And um, Exactly. And, and when you're talking about really hands-on training, as you said, it's going to take, a, you're going to have to put more into it to get out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's not just going to be watch a video, answer some questions. It's really going to be some hands-on stuff. So you are talking about a little bit more time and the idea of interrupting like the develop, the development, like or product roadmap for some period of time while everybody's going through this seems like not a great way to do it, but rather to sort of say like, Hey, over the course of the month, this is what we sort of expect people to, to finish or complete. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, yeah, all, all of that is in our platform is completely configurable, right? We have our recommendations. We work with our customers once they sign up to onboard and kind of set those parameters, mm -hmm. it's really up to them on what makes sense and what works. But I agree, same, you know, security awareness training, secure coding, you know, secure coding training, all of that should be throughout the entire year. Why is it a one-time event at so many companies? Um, uh, well, I mean, right. I think it's a one-time event because it's easy to sort of, because it's easy to just postpone it, right? And I, I think, um, yeah, I mean, we, there's probably all kinds of reasons. Um, but I do, I agree that it should really be, it should be more continuous. And I think, um, the more you can integrate it into what you do every day. And I think that's, you know, at Cyber, when we think about, you know, training the, uh, like a SOC analyst or whomever, right. We know that their day-to-day -day job involves this stuff mm -hmm. and then have, trying to make sure that the content that we're putting out there is also relatable and, um, you know, trying to get to that, you know, really bite size, Hey, take 15 minutes half an hour, learn what you can in that period of time, make it really applicable and consumable. 
um, is definitely the the model of the future. I think we've we've learned as um as a society, as a you know culture, that learning in smaller bursts is much better than these sort of monolithic cram sessions of knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that only um, works in college. <laughs> yeah, well, it it works for passing the exam. That's what it works for, right? Oh, yeah. You remember it for a week or two, maybe. Um, you remember it for the exam, and then it's I couldn't tell you any of the things that I crammed for. Couldn't tell you. Uh, anything from them. But the the courses that I took where I actually really learned and learned, like learned in real time. And like, yeah, I can still remember stuff from that. Um, yeah. So there's probably, there's something to that. That's cool. Um, trying to think if there's any other. So when you're looking at, um, you know, an organization and selling into it, is the... What's the sort of like process look like? What what do you guys do? Is there a proof of concept, a, a trial, some sort of? I'm just curious how you guys sort of go about doing it. Yeah, so that that again depends on the organization. Usually, smaller organizations they'll you know try try out. We have a free lesson online, our SQL injection lesson. Anyone can just go and take that uh, on our website. Um, and so you know, a lot of companies that are smaller, that's enough for them. Usually bigger companies, if they're getting into like thousands of developers or so, they want a trial and they want to go through that process. So we'll set them up with with a trial for some of their developers and security team to to take it, try out, see if they like it, see how it works for them, um, and then and then go through that. Obviously, we you know we give full demos on our tra- on our training and our platform, show how it integrates and you know how how it works for different organizations. Cool. Yeah, I think the. Um... I, I definitely not, you know, we talked a little bit about integrating with the CICDs. I think speaking of integrations, the bug bounty programs, I think that's a, a whole area that um, companies I think are starting to embrace more and more the notion of um, crowdsourcing essentially their security, right? We have all these attackers. There's all these people in the world who are trying to hack your system. You have all these security researchers who are more than happy to do it be ethical hackers and 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 let you know the vulnerabilities that you have in your platform and being able to take advantage of that is so I think it's so critical it's how we've been able to stay pretty lean with our team um, and I'm curious like are you seeing that in a, as a trend is there a lot of the companies that you're working with do you have bug bending programs or at least um, vulnerability disclosure programs yeah for sure definitely more and more are, are moving that way to have bug bounty programs. Um, you know, same with, I mean, I think, you know, application security in general is, is growing as like, you know, you, you go back several years and maybe it wasn't at every organization, but now every organization, I mean, every organization develops software now, right? Right. And software is a part of every, every organization where it wasn't before, uh, you know, so more and more organizations are coming on board, even with our training, right? I see it as, you know, um, you know, security awareness training, I think it's pretty much across the board. All companies are like, okay, we have to train all our employees not to click links and do all of this, right? right? And I, I see secure coding training moving that way as well. The trend is all, you know, soon in the next couple of years, it's going to be all organizations that right, have any software are going to have to have that kind of training. It's going to be one of those things that's just been mm-hmm. given, right? So that's kind of the trend. And same with, you know, bug bounty programs and other things that kind of fit in to application security and securing applications. Yeah, no, I agree. I think um, um, I think there's also this like area that 
is somewhere between security awareness and sort of the hands-on training that like Cyber has to offer or Hack EDU has to offer, which is, you know, for software developers or stock analysts where there's this like, yep. as more and more SaaS is coming online, more and more people are exposed to being able to do things that they were never able to do before. And so, um, so I, in software engineering context, it's like all of a sudden a software developer can go in, spin up an entire like data center, you know, the equivalent of a data center in AWS or Google or wherever, yeah. and accidentally leave a port open. Whereas like in the past, that there was an operations team. There was a whole like that, that was a totally separate function. And software engineers weren't really able to do that. And so we need to train software engineers a little bit more on the ops side and securing like infrastructure. Um same time, we're bringing on more and more SaaS. Um, your marketing team suddenly has the ability to check a box that, you know, in the past, probably they would have never been able to do. It would have required like software engineers or somebody to go in and make some changes. And I do think that training, security training overall, there's going to be this convergence where you're just going to have these very technical people who have to go through this training and understand the implications of what they're doing. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree with that. Completely, yeah. Um, it's I mean, not surprising. We're both in, we're both in training companies. It's, it's I don't think that we're going to find a lot of controversy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially so if, you, if you look at the, the you know the Capital One breach that happened, mm-hmm. they just got a fine of eighty million dollars, right? Right. For Capital One, that's not a ton of money, but you know, you're looking at other companies that that that's a chunk of money, right? That's a pretty substantial amount. So more companies see, you know, hey, we need to we need to actually put in the investment to, to train, you know, train different people, make sure we're doing what we need to be doing. Yeah. I think that's interesting is the, um, the, the notion of the size of the company and the, what happens if there's a data breach or what happens if there's a problem, right? Like in some cases, if you're a large enough organization, you can just throw marketing dollars at it and survive. Like, you don't like, it's not even like there's like this, you know, this, uh, bean counting, you know, type of exercise that you could go through of like, what was this breach actually going to cost us? And um, and I think it's really that sort of small, medium sized company that's going to have a much, it's going to be just devastated by a breach, right? That right. like they don't have like they're not established enough to be able to sort of survive it, and um, so the more they can sort of spend early on to sort of make sure that it doesn't happen, I think it's it's a it's money well spent. Um, not suggesting the enterprise. You know, large enterprises shouldn't also be spending a large amount of money on security. But um, I do think that it's one of those... I think it's overlooked a lot by smaller companies when they're first getting started. Um, the importance of getting it in early because... Um, I, I mean, my last company, that was a big driver. Same thing with Cybrary. Um, uh, was I didn't want to... You know, like my mentality was I don't want to end up on you know the front page of you know XYZ newspaper... Um, as the result of that company that caused some other breach at some really large organization. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, yeah. that totally, totally, totally makes sense. Um, yeah. But I agree. I mean, the smaller organizations need to start, you know, taking it more. I mean, it could totally sink a smaller organization, like you said, right? Um, right. Large organization. I know there's a study, Rand put out a study that's like, I basically said, you know, for the larger organizations, like long term, it doesn't really affect their brand that much. I mean, everyone's still shopping at Target, right? No. Right. Massive data reach. It doesn't hurt hurt brand as much, but um, you know. But I mean, Equifax came out with a security product after their like, now. <laughs> now we'll we'll help protect your identity. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, right. Um, and I do. You know. Uh, yeah. I think it's. 
Yeah, so yes, I'm sorry. You were saying that, yeah, it doesn't really, the larger companies, it doesn't really hurt the brand in the long term. Exactly. Hopefully it's not like, you know, like seatbelts in, in the 80s where, where, you know, good car companies say, well, is it, it costs more to just pay out if something happens because, you know, there's, or, or you know, the seatbelts are, are defunct or whatever, right? Right. Um, you know, so hopefully companies are looking at it seriously and not making that determination, right? Of, oh, do we actually invest in security or not? Which I, I don't see that trend. I think mo- the trend is everybody is spending on security and, and putting in place the right things. But um, but for some large organizations, you know, that, that is a possibility. Yeah. And I think though, um, I think that the, the damages can go well beyond, there's a lot of financial damages that aren't just from the fines for or sure. from like customers no longer ha- feeling comfortable shopping there. Right. Like, as you said, target goes on, people are going to continue shopping there. We're going to assume that they, every company has these problems target happened to get hit. They're going to fix it. Right. Now I feel comfortable like shopping there. Um, but there's still this untold damages that, that potentially happen due to the nature of what your company is, the information that was lost. You know, yep. there's any number of things that can happen from a security breach that are maybe not just hurting your brand. So right. I think that's also a big driver. It's not just the, Oh, let's throw marketing dollars at it instead. Um, right. But yeah, and I think, you know, on the um it is nice to see that more and more companies are moving down the like having the vulnerability disclosure programs or bug bounty programs and that yep. that's being sort of adopted naturally and that we don't have to legislate it. Like you think about it, mm-hmm. uh seatbelts needed to be legislated, right? Like <laughs> I think there's a point at which from a security perspective, there is probably some at some point there's gonna need to be legislation or something that comes in that really forces the hand of some companies to do these things. I think security awareness is like sexual harassment training. I think it's these there's there's certain industries where it is completely regulated and you have to have these. Right. Um, and that's why some companies have them. Um, right. I mean as software do, you know does more things that are, you know, that could cause, you know, loss of life or things like that, then I think right. that's when it's going to come up, right? Like automated car, you know, cars, autonomous cars, right? Or medical right. devices, right? Uh, luckily, we haven't had you know a ton of incidents in those areas, but but if if we do, we're going to see more and more in terms of I think legislation and and you know policymakers jumping into that. Yeah, no, the operational technology side of things, uh, I I could go on for days on how insecure that all is. I mean, it's cars aren't the you have systems that were designed never to be online that are suddenly being put online, mm-hmm. um, and so the these they were designed as closed systems and. Oh, that's therefore it's secure, but it really isn't. Um, anyway, I can I can I can talk for days about operational technology um, and and stuff like that. Um, and I think that is an area where we're going to see probably legislation, as you said, is as the you know in the in the devices that we depend on that could really cause loss of life or or, or really financial um, like economic damage to a country. So yeah, uh, thanks uh, so much for joining us, Jared. I really appreciate the conversation um, and I, the. Your origin story is very interesting, and um, it's always it's always nice to hear a company sort of start. You know, all these different ways that companies can start. Um, I appreciate you joining us. Um, any final thoughts or anything that you you know might want to share? No, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's great to be on. I enjoyed our conversation. Um, no, I, I think um, you know in, in general, I'm just happy to see you know companies moving towards um, you know more application security and doing more in those areas. Um, 
Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, and look forward. Uh, hopefully, we'll we'll get you back on and we can talk some more. Um, Excellent. Always interesting. Yeah. Thanks so much, Mike. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, this is Thor. Thanks for listening to the Cyberry Podcast and make sure to check back next Wednesday for our newest episode.